Welcome to the Block School Podcast, a series devoted to business, leadership, and community impact in Kansas City. I'm Brian Kloss, Dean here at the Block School. Block is Kansas City's business school, and in this podcast, we will be learning what some of the top minds with a Kansas City connection are thinking about opportunities for economic and social impact. We'll be getting insights from business and civic leaders, entrepreneurs, nonprofit innovators, and policy experts. We are launching the Block School podcast with alumni impact episodes, where we highlight the impact of Block alumni in Kansas City and beyond. Today, we speak with Mike Perry. Mike is president and CEO at Hallmark Cards. Mike has had over a 30-year career at Hallmark, serving in a number of different leadership roles during his career. Prior to his current position, he served as president of Crayola, part of Hallmark's portfolio of businesses, and he also served as president of Hallmark Greetings. Mike graduated from Block with his undergraduate degree in business. Mike, thank you for joining us. Ah, glad to be here, Brian. Thank you. So, Mike, why don't we start back maybe at the beginning of your career. When you were a student at Block at UMKC, you took on a pretty significant role with a rapidly growing entrepreneurial firm. And I wonder if you could just share what that role was like and how that experience affected your outlook as you moved into the corporate world. Sure. Well, I think high growth, I mean, it was like growth part in terms of growing pains. I think when you start in a new business or you've got a small business, this was actually a small family business that was just beginning. And, you know, when you get into a scenario like that, you end up doing a little bit of everything. And for me at that point in my life, the chance to do so many different things, to learn how business works and how to function a business properly from the ground up. I mean, it's invaluable. And I was doing that at the same time that I was going to school. I was at the Block School of Business at the time. And so the you know the classes, everything took on a different dynamic for me. But you had a chance to do accounting. You had a chance to, this was a utility construction business that we operated. So there was a lot of estimating and job costing that went into it. Things that today you kind of smile at. It's not a really hard thing or concept to wrap your head around, but it was all new to me then. And this would have been back in that day. So this would have been in the eighties. <laughs> and you know, when you're talking accounting, like, nothing wrong with the you, 1980s. Is it no, a decade? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, at that point you literally grabbed the ledger as in like the physical book, the ledger, <laughs> and you're looking at the accounting. So it was just a great way, honestly, to learn and I graduated. I ended up making the transition over to Hallmark. And that was supposed to, you know, the master plan was, I don't know, two, three years. Let's see how the pros do it. And then my plan was I probably would return back to small business. And obviously, you said in the intro, 30 years, I think this is year 32 for me. (laughs) Go figure, right? So tell us about the experience of going from this small firm rapidly growing firm to a very well-established corporation with established routines and established ways of doing things. Was there a shock to the system? Did you learn new things because of the difference that was presented? Yes, it was a shock to the system. (laughs) You're in this small startup. You're doing, like I said, everything. You get into an entry-level role for a big corporation. You're doing very specific things. And you're pretty boxed in for the most part, particularly in those first couple jobs uh, in terms of what you do. And and I found 
myself. I was in maybe that first job or two. I mean, you could even, I was probably a little bored in what we were doing. I think for me, there was a couple things at Hallmark. I think one, I really fell in love with the mission and the purpose behind the brand. And a lot of that comes from the family. Hallmark is a a privately held company that's owned by the Hall family. Their whole reason for being is really about helping people to care for each other and connect with those that they love and care about. This isn't just a slogan or something that we say at Hallmark. I mean, you really get into it. And in terms of me, I mean, that really spoke to me. But the other thing that Hallmark is great about, and I think a lot of organizations do a good job of this, is they provided me with lots of opportunities, particularly in those early years, to do a lot of different things. And that was, given my background, my interests, that was really important to me. I mean, I did, in those early years, I did supply chain work. I did finance work. I did marketing work, product management work, customer development. So all of those things, I mean, frankly, it was a huge enabler and benefit to me in the career path that I ultimately went down. So you became CEO in 2019. (laughs) Yeah, that was a long way from the 90s. We're fast forwarding here. Yeah, we did. When you became CEO, tell me about the first few months in the role. How did you approach those first few months? Because you always hear people discuss for leaders how that the first few months in a job, how they approach that is so very critical. I think every job's kind of unique. I think if you were going to a new company or working on something that you weren't as familiar with, I mean, your approach is going to be different. A 30-year employee, I had a pretty good idea of what the work was. I think the initial focus, I spent a lot of time on right people in the right roles. Let's make sure that we've got the right team in place. I also think there are things that are unique to the CEO role. You think about the jobs that I had before, whether it was running the Crayola business or the Hallmark greeting card business. Those are heavy operator roles. You're in a lot of the details in and out at various levels of the business. This role, I think there are things that are unique to this role. I think first and foremost, particularly with these iconic brands like Hallmark and Crayola, you really have to champion and make sure that we're on track for what the mission or the essence of these brands are and the brand promises that are wrapped around that. I think the CEO has to get the strategy piece of it right. So strategy ties back to mission. It's all about what choices are we going to have to make to enable that mission. And then I think the third big body of work for a leader is the culture. And culture, when I I talk about culture, I'm really talking about the mindsets and the behaviors that you want the organization to adopt that enable, they travel with strategy and they travel with mission and purpose of these brands. And then I think obviously tied in with culture is people. And then the other piece is resource allocation, which is kind of unique to the CEO role. And I think in those early months in particular, a good amount of time was spent. Do we have the right people in the right roles? Do we have the right team in place? Are we clear? about where we're going? Are we clear about our intentions and aspirations? And are we clear on what the desired culture could and should be relative to those things? Let's talk a little bit more about culture and your role as CEO. Can you tell us, Hallmark has a very strong culture and a long history. 
So can you tell us about some aspects of that culture that you believe in, that you really worked to support in very concrete kinds of ways? I think anytime you're talking about culture, it's important to be really clear about what cultural attributes you value and which culture, cultural attributes you don't value. Now, you know, you tend to talk about it in the positive, but it is important. We talk about it in terms of descriptors so that we can use a, a word like creativity, for example, and then there's a whole story that unpacks around that. And if you go back to the very beginning of either Hallmark or Crayola, creativity has always been at the heart of those brands and those cultures. And there's not really a negative to that. I mean, in all of the companies that we have, in both of the brands that we have, we value creativity in all of its shapes and sizes. Another word that's just as an example, iteration. One of the pieces of our strategy that we lean heavy into right now is innovation. And we've got specific different innovation initiatives. But part of innovation is there is no innovation without iteration. And so what you're speaking to a cultural attribute that's critical in terms of a behavior that you have to adopt, but you're also speaking against a cultural attribute that had found its way into Hallmark, and that was perfectionism. And just think about companies go through different cycles over years, but Hallmark is a, today, as we said here, 111-year-old brand. And it's a very successful company that for a number of years, I think we got into a routine of you just sort of work the formula, which isn't great for innovation. It can stifle innovation. And you grab a hold of words like quality and flawless this and flawless that. Those are good things, but they can also stifle innovation. So adopting a cultural mindset and attitude around iteration, for example, is a big unlock. And we've got others, you know, that that speak to those mindsets and behaviors that we want to adopt in order to be successful. So you were trying to inject perhaps a, a willingness to take risks among employees, a willingness maybe on occasion to experiment, and make mistakes. How did you encourage that? How do you kind of create a sense that it's okay to take some risks and on occasion make a mistake? I think just go back to our example of iteration. By definition, you continue to iterate because you're not quite there. And I think the celebration of, hey, we are moving and we're moving quickly. And there, another word that we like that goes with iteration is discipline. <laughs> it's a balancing cultural word, but part of innovation is discipline. You have to be choiceful in what you choose. You have to understand what you're trying to innovate for. I mean, it is all about that consumer, the viewers that we have on the Hallmark channel. You have to find a way to be useful and relevant and helpful to them. That's You're not innovating for the sake of innovating, you're innovating for them. So to combine those concepts and yes, iterate in a disciplined way, we celebrate whether it's a big win, it's a failure, but we continue to learn and adapt and adjust and you celebrate the people and the actions that embody that. And I, I think it has to be authentic. I mean, I think times in my career where I've seen us get off track, you charge after some big breakthrough idea, it didn't work, and you drop it like a hot rock. And you're on to the next thing, as opposed to, wow, what was it that you liked about that? You may not have got it right to begin with, but 
keep working it and you'll get to a good place. I guess another aspect of culture relates to the environment for inclusion and diversity. And maybe you could just chat about how you go about encouraging an environment that is inclusive and that encourages diverse viewpoints and perspectives. Yeah. And that's another one that you can't fake that. I mean, that has to be, you have to authentically value different points of view, different inputs, different ways that people see the world. And I think a lot of that starts, frankly, by the way that we lead. You have to lead by example with that. And I think that the people that you put around you, the people that you have speaking in to things you're wrestling with, ideas, people that are shaping the conversations, are you getting a diverse point of view in doing that? And then I think there's just some practical steps that I think we've all, like most companies around the world in the last year, we've all taken a pretty hard look at this. I think if you would have asked me this time last year how Hallmark was doing in terms of being a more diverse and inclusive workplace, I would have said really good. And I would have rattled off, you know, 10 things that were proof points of that. But I think the last 12 months has shown us all in a very humbling way. Oh my goodness, there's so much more that we need and have to do. And I think putting practical initiatives and steps in place to make progress on that. I think in the diversity inclusion space, we've got sort of five pillars that we grab around and it's everything from intentional learning, which we're all doing, to the way that we recruit and retain talent, the way that we make sure that we've got diversity in our product and our workforce, et cetera. So the point is we just have all got to be increasingly intentional about doing this in the way that we lead and the way that we talk and the way that we seek out others, but also in just the practices that we adopt as a company. When you were talking about your first few months on the job, you mentioned strategy as being a key part of the role. How did you become a good strategic thinker? And how do you get the information about all the stuff going on in the world that allows you to be good at participating in strategy development sessions? I don't know that I can point to one thing. I think there's different things that people have said that sort of unlocked that for me over the years. I think back in the early days, somebody explaining that, hey, look, strategy is about making choices. A strategy is a choice. And I think the thought process of what choices are we making on purpose? What choices are we not making? I think there's a process to this. And I mentioned this earlier, but I think everything for us starts with the mission and the purpose of these brands. And it always begins with that, which is all wrapped around, I want to help people. I want to be helpful and useful in very specific ways, things that I care about, things that we think our consumers and our viewers care about. Strategy then is what are the best sets of choices that are going to enable you to fulfill that mission and purpose. And I think there's a whole host of things that feed into that. I think what natural capabilities and competencies do you have that ought to inform the strategic choices that you make? It's really smart to do things that you're good at. <laughs> you know, for example, 
But but in all honesty, I, th- I think a lot of this really comes down to, are you aware of the different choices that are out there? And are you making conscious choices of things that you want to pursue and not pursue? In terms of process and how you follow trends or understand things, I think for me, for a number of years now, I've had a, a bit of a routine, if you will. I mean, I am a a pretty voracious reader. <laughs> I've got kind of a routine in the morning where I hit the papers. I've got the sort of weekly periodicals that I'll hit usually on a Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. And then I've always got a book cracked open. But you know, so a who's, lot of, who's on your recommended you know, reading list right now? <laughs> well, let's see. I think if you were going to give somebody like a classic, I mean, I'm always willing to recommend like a Jim Collins, like a good to great. I mean, all his stuff yes. is like perfect. Yes. If you're just kind of getting into this, that'd be a go-to. Another book I love, which especially if any of your listeners are thinking either small or even medium-sized businesses, I think it's called The Great Game of Business, Jack Stack. It's a great mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he does a great job of bringing a culture together, aligning people around a mission and a strategy. There's some great examples in there. Books that you know that I've just recently read. I don't, I don't know. Like I love John Meacham. I love history. I think that it's not a business book, but honestly, there's so much in leadership. There are leadership you lessons. Name. You betcha. Yeah. This was a book he wrote, I think, in 2016, but I just got around to it. It's called The Soul of America. And you know, just given all of the challenges that we have in our world around us right now, that was actually a pretty refreshing book to read. I'd recommend that one. The, the other one that he wrote recently, he did with John Lewis, I think is Truth is Marching On, I think is the title of it, but that was a good one. So <laughs> Excellent. there's a Excellent. couple for you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier um, about how Hallmark is a privately held firm. And I wonder if you might just sort of share with us Kind of how your life is different because it is privately held versus being a publicly traded firm. I think selfishly, I think this is a big advantage. And the family's very intentional about this. They always have been. I mean, I think this is actually codified in our beliefs and values. I think first and foremost, it's great in our particular case because we have a terrific ownership structure in like an owner in the Hall family. And this is somebody that the family is, like I said, very missional in terms of what we're trying to do with the brand, willing to invest, but all about playing the long game. And I think if you're a business leader, that's a huge luxury, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, for example, I mean, yes, we just finished our first quarter. It's not really an event for us. I mean, we let people know kind of where we are, obviously, and how we're doing but it's internal stakeholders anyway. And we really pivot quickly to what are we trying to build towards and how are we doing in the steps that we said we were going to take to build what we're trying to build. And that is from a leadership perspective, I've got enough friends that are in the public space and it's different. I mean, your focus is different and I think it's a good thing. And I think selfishly, it's, it's an advantage for us. Maybe another leadership question, yeah. CEO type question, because it strikes me that communicating with internal and external stakeholders has to be one of the most challenging parts of the job, particularly when there is significant organizational change and industry challenges that an organization is facing. How do you approach this communication task, both with internal and external stakeholders? I think, first of all, it's particularly on the internal side, I mean, it is 
communicating regularly and there's a bit of a system to it. I think when you get into things like the pandemic that we've been all dealing with for a year plus now, especially in those early months of the pandemic, we had so much change going on and we're all scrambling and trying to understand what's going on. I was doing weekly videos at that point. And now typically I do like a monthly video that goes out across the enterprise to the different businesses and, and groups. And I do a blog post usually once a month. There may be a hot topic or whatever that we'll take on in, in written form. And then I've got, we call them round tables, but I think 10 to 15 people in little group. We, <laughs> they're round tables virtually here in the last year, but they were literally round tables before where we sit around and we talk about the business, but it gives the employees a chance to ask me questions. And selfishly for me, it's a great way just to get a feel for what people are thinking about, what may be knots that need to be untied or what they feel great about. All those things are good. And then I try to do once a month, we call them town halls, but you know, think bigger 50 to 100 people where you're pulling people together. So I think the point here is you need a very intentional communication strategy, both internally and externally. And it sounds like your sense is you really can't overdo it. No, and I think you can't overdo it, but it's important that you're candid. You're very clear about what we're trying to do from an aspirational standpoint, but also the near-term intentions of what we're trying to accomplish. How do you balance being transparent, but also encouraging a sense of confidence? How do you balance those two objectives? I think it's important that you're okay with being clear with people about the things that we do know and the things that we don't know. Honestly, going back to our culture conversation around iteration and collaboration and discipline is part of that is, hey, let's be candid about what we know and what we need to still learn. And you can model that in your communication strategies and in the communication that you do. And we definitely try to do that for sure. Now, you've told me before that over your career, you have benefited from good coaches, good mentors. Can you maybe think of an instance where there was a pivotal conversation with a coach or a mentor that changed your outlook on how to approach things? And did that experience have any impact on how you approach coaching and mentoring in your role? Well, I mean, I think first of all, wow, I have had some amazing mentors over the years at Hallmark. I mean, really, I mean, the leadership depth and talent at that company is incredible. And I've benefited in so many different ways over the years. I, the best mentors and the best coaches, in my opinion, and this could be a board member now, it could be a manager, one of my first managers that I had back in the 90s. And the best mentors and coaches help you in how you think. They don't tell you what to think. And we all respond to that, I think, maybe in different ways. But when you can help somebody with what's the right way to shape your thought process and you get somebody that's challenging, not your ideas, but your thought process and just the integrity of that thinking, that is like the best. And when you can be comfortable with somebody and they're comfortable with you and they're really interested in you getting to the right place, like legitimately, they're not interested in making the decision for you. They're interested in helping you get to the right place and the right choice. 
that is by far the best and the best examples that I've gotten selfishly for myself. But it's, it's also to the other side of your question, the way that I try to work with the people that I'm mentoring and coaching and leading is there are some things that are clearly a decision that I need to reach. And so in that case, I'm looking for input and I'm pinging off of them in terms of their points of view and what they have to say and think about it. But there's other times where I try to make it very clear that this is your decision to make. And what I would want to do as a good leader is help them with their thought process and how they approach that decision. And that by far, I mean, the best coaches are masterful at the way that they do that. I mean, now I could ask you a little bit about mindset and leadership mindset. Do you think mindset is critical to how effective a leader is, helping them kind of cope with all the challenges that come their way? And do you have a particular goal with regard to your own mindset? Yeah, I think the way that we approach opportunities, the way that we approach problems in our head, it all starts <laughs> it all starts there. For me, over the years, I think I've kind of developed this thing of let's be balanced about it. You hear something that's either exciting or concerning or whatever, I think the first step is let's get curious. I think as opposed to running for the exits, <laughs> you know, if it's bad news, hey, let's get curious and let's understand what's going on here. I think there's this, it's important to embrace, I don't know what you call it. It's a dichotomy of a mindset. As a leader, it's important that you control what you can control. There's a diligence to your leadership. And it, from a mindset standpoint, I always want to be sort of very thoughtful about what things can we control, should we control, and let's be really diligent about doing those things really well. The balance to that, though, is there's a lot of things that you can't control. And there's a, for lack of a better word, business requires a bit of faith. <laughs> and there's this balance of diligence and, you know, I guess, faithfulness that I think is important. If we do the right things, we have faith that the outcomes will come. But to obsess over an outcome is unneeded stress. <laughs> Let's obsess over, are we doing the right things that we believe will ultimately get us to those outcomes? And I think the more that, like that kind of balance needs to exist within a group of leaders. It needs to exist within a culture of an organization. It also opens people up to, I think to what we were talking about earlier, you don't have to be terrified of failure you just have to be focused on what you need to do and very clear about what you need to do and have a little faith that some of these outcomes will work their way out because they almost always do. So I don't know if that gets at your question. Absolutely. Then, right? Great. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one more leadership yeah, question. Please. You know, yeah. I have you here. I just have to keep asking these questions. I apologize. But for leadership today, we are in a world where there are just so many different stakeholders. We have ESG considerations, more important. Mm. How do you approach strategy, decision-making with the need to address these many different stakeholders and these ESG considerations? For Hallmark, we have this set of beliefs and values that were codified 50 plus years ago. We were doing ESG before ESG was cool. Let's <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> you know, I think the halls have always said we should always 
make a positive difference in the communities that we operate in. And so whether we're talking about the environment or social issues or the way that we think about governance and doing things properly within the organization and the way that we interact externally, that's part of the fundamental beliefs and values of the company. But I think as much of that is important, it's important, I mean, at the end of the day, to all of us as individuals. I mean, we want to be able to go home at night knowing that we're actually doing some good in the world and we're doing some good with the people that we work with, the communities that we operate in. But our employees want that. Our customers that we work with want that. Our consumers that buy our products and watch our movies, they want that. And so for us not to want that (laughs) makes no sense. And so we actually think that, like I think a lot of companies do, this is just good business. And it's not just the right thing to do. It's actually, it's the right thing to do for all the right reasons. From a pure financial business perspective, you'll be better for it. And I think in the near term, the way that you feel about that work as an employee is going to be better. We have a solar farm at our Crayola plant, for example. And this is like 15 acres of panels. So like all of our manufacturers, like 70 plus percent of everything that we sell at Crayola, we make in Easton, Pennsylvania. So the headquarters for Crayola, the manufacturing plants, distribution centers are all there. As we said here today, the sun is shining brightly. On a day like today, the entire plant, I mean, a big operation, all the headquarters, the lights, the computers, everything is run off of the power of that solar farm. Well, that is huge to our employees, but guess what? (laughs) It's free, you know, on a day like today. I mean, it's incredible. And so these things, they just make sense. And if you're a teacher, if you're a student and you know that the crayons that you're coloring with were powered by the sun in terms of when they were made, oh my goodness. I mean, that feels right to all of us. And so I think the more things like that, that we can be intentional about and do and build into our business models and our business practices is important. So that answer segues perfectly into my last question. And that is, what do you hope will be your legacy at Hallmark? How do you hope you'll be able to impact Hallmark and this community? We're living, I think, in interesting times, you know, for sure. And we're at a place where you have to continue to innovate and evolve these businesses. I think the one thing that is static that really doesn't change for us is the mission that we have around these brands. So I said this earlier, but at Hallmark, we want to help people care for and connect with others to celebrate life's most important occasions and events to affirm another human being to express joy and gratitude and hope and all those things. At Crayola, we want to spark the creative spirit that we believe exists in the heart of every child. And we're going to always do that. These brands were founded in those spaces that for 118 years at Crayola, 111 years at Hallmark, that has been the driving force behind these brands. What those brands have done have changed from decade to decade. And we're at a time right now where things have to evolve and continue to change and adapt to the way that people view the world, the way that people shop, the needs that people have. 
And I think from a legacy perspective, I think each generation has to answer that call. And I think for this generation, it's really about the new innovation, the new way that we move forward in these companies. And we set that foundation that leads to growth and relevancy for these brands for the next generation. And I think the disciplines, the codification of these brands and the essence of these brands, the process that we go through to get to the right strategies, the way that we think about how to execute against those strategies, the way that we intentionally approach culture and the way that we purposefully allocate resources to do what needs to be done. To do that well, that's what this is all about. And I think whenever I'm done doing all of that, I hope I get to the end of it. And I'm a bit player in a brands that are 100 plus years old. And I just hope that I will have played my bit well. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your leadership insights. And yeah, thank you course, for your Brian. contributions to this community. It's impressive. We have been talking with Mike Perry, President and CEO at Hallmark Cards. This podcast has been brought to you by the Marion and Henry Block Family Foundation, dedicated to making Kansas City better. For more information about the Henry W. Block School of Management, please go to block.umkc.edu.